Good morning, church. Um, If anything's tougher than preaching to people early in the morning is having people in masks where they're breathing carbon dioxide. I feel like a guy who's speaking after lunch when people are tired. So hopefully it'll go well. We are so glad to be here. I am Quig Lawrence. I'm Bishop Suffragan in uh, our diocese, Diocese of Christ Our Hope. And I can get pretty loud, so don't do it too much. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also a rector. I'm a rector at Church of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I'm missing my, that part of my church family, but I'm so glad to be with you guys. In fact, it, as my wife and I were driving here, uh, we went on Spotify and we, started, we put in the word Kentucky. And there were so many songs about Kentucky. And then we went and put in Louisville. And let me see if you know a few of these people that sang about Kentucky. Tell me the song if you know it. Elvis Presley, go. Kentucky woman, yeah. Okay, how about this one? Um, Bill Monroe. Blue Moon of Kentucky, thank you. Uh, Keith Whitley. I forgot that one, but you can look it up. Okay, Loretta Lynn, Emmy Lou Harris, my old Kentucky home. Uh, Patty Loveless. Our church is actually getting ready to record this on one of our CDs. Patty Loveless, it's about your state. You'll never leave Harlan alive. Uh, maybe one or two more. Rhonda Vincent. Do y'all know Bluegrass? Rhonda Vincent? She's like an amazing singer. Yeah, she did a song about Kentucky. Neil Diamond, Kentucky woman. Uh, one more. Amos Lee. He did a song called Louisville. Did you know that? Amos Lee? Last one is The Steel Drivers. Right. So the bottom line is there are a lot of songs about Kentucky, a lot to sing about. We're so glad to be here. I actually have relatives that are, are from Kentucky. We have people in our church from Kentucky. And um, I just remember my relatives from Kentucky when I was growing up saying, Oh, honey. They're just sweet, sweet people. And we're so glad to be here. Now, we're going to dive into Matthew chapter 16. So what I'm finding out is nobody carries Bibles now. They have a Bible on the phone. And, you know, Billy Graham says the best Bible is whatever one you will read. And so if you have a, a smartphone or a Bible, that would be great if you would open it. And we're going to be in a very short passage because we've got a lot to do today. And really, you might leave with like one thing to chew on. One. This passage here, you could preach for a week, but we don't have a week. And so we're going to tell uh, the story of Jesus telling his disciples about his, how he must go to Jerusalem, his upcoming Uh, that he would suffer at the hands of the religious leaders, how he would be put to death, and on the third day he would be raised. But one of the things I tell our church is if you just dive into a passage of Scripture and start reading, you might end up with a really whacked out uh, understanding of what's going on. For example, if you went to the movie theater, remember those movie theaters? Yeah, we'd want to have stock in those. But you go to a movie theater... And if you walked into a movie that was like 40 minutes in and you sat down and you watched it, you might come away with the wrong understanding of what's going on. Or maybe if there's a four page letter, but you only got uh, two pages, you might not get the whole understanding of what the person's trying to uh, convey to you. And so here, let's just go quickly. We'll do it together. The quicker we go, the shorter the sermon. So um, what happens just before? So we're in Matthew 16 verses 21, and we'll probably end maybe at verse 24. But right before that, I want you to see the bookends. Okay, can y'all, y'all hang with me. So there's, there's, there's a bookend on each side. Like y'all have those in, at home, you got a bookend here and a bookend there. 
There's a front side and a back side. Let's look at the front side. What's going on right before Jesus tells them that he's going to go to Jerusalem, that he's going to suffer, that he's going to die, and he's going to be raised? What has just happened? Because we want context. What has just happened? Look in them. Look at verses 13 and following. Jesus basically goes to his disciples and says, Hey, who do people say that I am? And they say, Well, uh, some say uh, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, some say one of the, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But then Jesus basically zooms in and he goes, That's great. Who do you say that I am? Right? I don't necessarily care about who the world says Jesus is. I want to know who you guys say I am. And so when he asked that question, what was the response from Simon Peter? Again, this is a bookend. What, what did Simon Peter say? Oh, 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 I got the answer. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are Messiah. Jesus, you are, you are God incarnate. You're the Messiah. You're the Savior. You're the Lord. He says you are. What does it say in the text? He says, yeah, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And so that's one bookend. Now, if you can go with me, let's go to the other bookend, the, the back side of the passage we're in. Okay, so what's on the back side? Look in chapter 17. I'll give you a hint. It's the transfiguration. But what happens in the transfiguration? Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain. And then what happens? It says he takes uh, Peter, James, and John, leads them to a high mountain, Jesus is transfigured before them. You can see the radiance and the glory, maybe the Shekinah glory of God. Jesus is transfigured. He's not simply a man. He's not simply a rabbi. He's not simply a prophet. He's not simply a lawgiver. And so as he's transfigured, there appears Moses and Elijah. There appears Moses and Elijah. You know, there are a lot of reasons that comforts me. But you know why that comforts me this morning? I buried my mother on Monday. Um, She was ready to go. She had stage four cancer. We watched her slowly melt away. And it was not fun for her. She was in pain. She did not go to hospice. I don't know why, but we watched her suffer. So we prayed to Jesus, Lord, take her home. Take her home. One of the reasons that I am so encouraged in this story of the transfiguration is, who's up there as Jesus is being transfigured? Remind me. Moses and Elijah. Wait, 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 wait. Time out, time out. I thought they died. Nick, am I missing something? Moses and Elijah, had they died? But wait a minute, so now they're appearing. Do you think that might be a hint of resurrection? Do you think that might be a hint from the Lord of what is to come when the dead in Christ will be raised? When actually all will be raised. But what this encourages me so much because I know that I will see my mom again. Just like David said, my son will not come back, but I will go to him. Friends, there's resurrection. God's whispering. But again, back to the bookends. On the front side, what? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're Messiah. And on the back, you see God himself. He comes as Christ is being transfigured. And it says a cloud. It's almost like his Shekinah glory. A cloud comes. And what does the Lord himself say? What does the Father say? Don't look at my face. It's not written there. Look in your Bible. This is my son. This is my son, my beloved son. 
And most people stop there. This is my beloved son. But what did the father say? Listen. Listen to him. And friends, we're all under grace. And I love listening to Nick preach. He's an awesome preacher, by the way. I don't want to puff his head up. He's a great preacher. One of the things he reminds us is Christ's work is finished. Jesus said, it is done. It is done. We can stop striving. We can stop striving and rest. Christ is our rest. But that does not mean that we don't walk in holiness. That does not mean that we don't listen to the Lord. In his mercy and his kindness and his goodness, he has a lot to say to us. And so the book ends, if you will. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. In the transfiguration, you see the father saying, this is my son. In other words, this is God. Listen to him. So do you got that? And so what would you expect in the middle? You would expect something coherent with those two bookends, wouldn't you? But that's not what we see. So let's go right to the scripture. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. And, and that sounds great. You ever been to Israel? I've been. It's, it's amazing. I hope you get to go. But, you know, when Jesus went to Jerusalem, he wasn't going to have a party. He wasn't going sightseeing. He was going on a mission. He was going to be the suffering servant Isaiah talks about in Isaiah 53. He was going to give his life, the righteous for the unrighteous, to lead us to God. And so he says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer many things uh, from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. He would be killed. And on the third day, he would be raised or resurrected. And Peter And so that's what Jesus was saying. And then look at verse 22. It says, and Peter, you you remember Peter, right? We had just talked about him. Peter who confessed him as the Christ, the Messiah. And Jesus says, you're blessed, Peter. And, And just one second after that, Peter steps up stage front. And, and after Jesus says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer at the hands of the religious leaders. I'm going to be killed. And on the third day, I'm going to be raised. Peter had something to say. Peter had something to say. He had just acknowledged him as Lord. What did Peter say? Peter took Jesus aside. Well, that's good. He was respectful and honoring of Jesus. He takes him aside. He doesn't rebuke Jesus, the Lord, publicly. He pulls him aside. Peter takes him aside, begins to rebuke Jesus. Can you imagine that? Peter is rebuking Jesus. The one who rebuked the wind and the waves. Wow. Peter is rebuking the one who rebuked Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. Peter, the one who would deny Jesus three times, is is rebuking the Lord himself. Wait a minute, Peter. I thought you just said Jesus was Lord. I thought you just said he was Messiah. And yet here you are inserting yourself as if you are God, as if Jesus is a concierge working for you. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus, saying, far be it from you, Lord, far be it. This shall never happen to you. In other words, Jesus speaks, I must be about the Father's will. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to give myself as a ransom. The Lamb of God, the righteous Lamb of God for the unrighteous to bring you to the Father. I'm going to do this. I'm on a mission. And we know Jesus did not want to suffer. He did not want to die. 
He says, Father, let this cup pass. But Jesus loved you and me enough and he loved the world. The Bible says he so loved the world. He went to Jerusalem. And yet Peter's saying, no, 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 God. Let me tell you a better way. Let me show you how things ought to be. And could I just tell you guys that there's a lot more in this passage, but where the Lord struck me. Because see, if the Lord is not striking us as pastors in a passage, we might as well sit down. Peter is calling him Lord. And in the next breath, he's given instructions to the Lord, telling the Lord how it should be or how it shouldn't be. In other words, Jesus, come kneel at my feet. I'm now the rabbi. Let me tell you how it's going to be. You should not ever go to Jerusalem. You should not ever go and suffer. Peter's saying, no, Jesus, you have it wrong. And so the question I ask myself is, is this just about Peter? Is this just Peter? Is Peter the only one who does this? I'm sure y'all are a lot better Christians than I am. I'm certain of it. I'm certain of it. But here's what I know. Too often, I'm like Peter. I say, Lord, 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 I love you. I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice. You know, I carry my Bible. I'm a Christian. I have a bumper sticker. I used to have Jesus on my license plate. I did. I had Jesus on my license plate. They wouldn't allow it in Virginia, so I put Jesus. And yet, the, the reality is so often, the truth is, that I try to instruct the Lord. Oh, and I'm subtle in how I do it. I'm so subtle. I'm so clever. The way I question the Lord, and I'm like, Lord, this needs to happen. God, I remember my mom's dying. like, Lord, Lord, come on now. If I were God, I wouldn't let her live this long. If I were God, I would take her. Or we had other hard things in our family. We lost a a grandchild. We've had some hard things happen to my daughter with health issues. And I keep thinking, well, Lord, if you were really smart, you would see things as I do. Lord, come on. Wake up, Lord. Rouse yourself. And, And see, all that is in my mind is just sin where I'm trying to knock God off the throne. Where I'm really saying, God, you cannot be trusted. Really, the things I struggle with often are, are kind of like what they heard in the garden. Did God really say? Did God really say? And so, friends, again, this may not apply to you, but I, I want to ask you this morning. It's a simple question. As you follow Jesus, under his mercy and grace, as you follow him, part of his mercy and grace is protecting you from yourself. Part of his mercy and grace is not allowing you to get on the throne. You know what? I I did it for 21 years. Oh, my goodness. I hope y'all never knew me in college. I know what it's like to be my own God. And, And the narrative is that, oh, we act as our own God. Then we meet Jesus and then we're all great. The reality is the Bible says if we say we don't sin, we deceive ourselves. Even as Christians, if we say we don't sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so here today, the Lord is really bringing home one point. Would you allow the merciful, the kind and gracious Lord to be the Lord? Or do you have a better idea and want to knock him off the throne and place yourself on the throne? Do you want to instruct the Lord? I don't know if that that has any um, resonance with you, but for me it does. I realize that too often in my my, uh, twisted thinking... 
in my own flesh. I want to be God and I want to instruct the Lord. And friends, that is missing the mark. That is sin. We say that in Virginia, it's sin. And the thing about the Lord is He loves you so much. He really does. That He will not allow you to knock Him off the throne. And in this particular case, what if the Lord Jesus had listened to Peter? The thing that Peter so wanted, or actually the thing he most needed, was salvation and forgiveness of sin and to become a son of the Lord. If he had had his way, none of those things would have happened. So God, while it appears that Jesus is being harsh and mean, oh, Peter, thou art Satan, get behind me. It appears mean. It appears a mean rebuke. But it's true, and it's actually merciful. Because God is he's on a mission. Jesus is on a mission, and he is not going to allow Peter to disrupt the mission. One more scene. Jesus is on the cross. Do you remember? There's one on his left. There's one on his right. One of the criminals said what to Jesus? One mocked him, right? And he said, if you're the son of God, save us, save yourself and save us. Come off the cross. Jesus could have done this. He could have done the bewitched thing. He could have winked and legions of angels could have come down. But the Lord loved us too much to save himself. We would be lost. And it's the same thing here with Peter. He's like, Peter, I'm not going to give you what you're asking for because I answer to one, the Father. And in his mercy and grace and love for you, he will not allow you to be put on the throne. He w- we will not stop the plan of salvation. We are going to accomplish this. And that's why Jesus, as he was dying, said, it is Finished. It is accomplished. Your take home chew is this. This was written about Peter. But you know what, friends? Peter's no longer with us. Peter's no longer with us. He's with the Lord. Absent from the body, present from the Lord. So I believe this scripture is not written to Peter. It's written to us. And the Lord is challenging us to learn from Peter, to learn that he alone, that God alone is on the throne, that he has a will, he has a plan. And the the most um, merciful thing the Lord does is not allow us to get back on the throne, not allow us to instruct him. And that, that the Lord has a way and a plan and a will. And rather than have this egregious thing where we're trying to be God and manage things. We're trying to manage things. It's like being in a pool and you've got a hundred balls and you're trying to keep them all down. And you go here and a bunch of balls pop up and you go over here. The Lord says, rest, friends. Rest. I love you. I've come to save you, to forgive you. I will be raised from the dead. And he was. And he says, Peter, rest in me. Trust in me. Believe in God. I ask you this morning, Grace Anglican, can you learn from Peter? Can you learn from Peter? Can you acknowledge these places in your own life where you have tossed God aside and said, God, let me instruct you? Have you made God a concierge, a hotel concierge to do your bidding? Have you made God into Aladdin's lamp that you rub so he will do your will? What I would say in his mercy, God has freed you from that. 
and called you to perfect freedom. He says, let anyone that wants to come after me take up his cross and follow me. Friends, following Christ is freedom. The other thing, the way we used to live is bondage. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.